Hello and welcome to Nightcap with Jim. I'm the titular Jim, and tonight we'll be discussing my three top three favorite John Krasinski uh, projects. For more content you may enjoy, please check out our Morning Mangami podcast and our other social media at Mangami Players on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and YouTube. Let's get into it. So to start this episode, I thought I'd talk about uh, the first uh, kind of thing I saw uh, John Krasinski in. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar, uh, John Krasinski uh, is most famous for his portrayal as Jim on The Office and uh, most recently for his uh, third directorial effort and uh, starring role in A Quiet Place alongside uh, his uh, uh, IRL wife, uh, Emily Blunt. Uh, but I'm going to start with The Office. Um, the Office is a really interesting show to me. Uh, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I'm not really going to talk too much about The Office as a show in general. Um, I want to kind of, I'm trying to stick to just John um, Krasinski. Uh, but, you know, just a little bit about The Office, you know. Because, um, you know, eventually I do want to do a nice big series on, uh, on The Office uh, eventually. Uh, but, you know, I'm not a huge fan of awkward stuff, you know, um, like, uh, like in the movies or the TV shows or whatever where the pretty girl, you know, waves and then you see the nerdy kid or whatever, the outcast or the, you know, the loner dude and he's like, oh, is she waving to me? And then, you know, rack focus and it's, you know, some jock or whatever, popular kid that, you know, the person's actually waving at. And it's just like, Ugh. like, to me, that those moments are, like, super cringeworthy. And I'm just like, Ugh. yuck. Um, <laughs> you know? Uh, so, like, the awkward comedy, you know, like, Michael Scott and Andy and whatnot, you know, like, I'm, I've never been too huge a fan of it, but somehow, because I just recently, uh, well, recently, last night, uh, I started, uh, started The Office over again, and I've actually found that I, I actually like the way The Office does that comedy, um, in a way that it, it's bearable and, in some cases, enjoyable, <laughs> um, you know, where usually I'm just like, no thanks, you know, like, just give me some slapstick, or, you know, or, you know, some joke about a tragedy, or something like that, you know, some dark humor, or whatever, you know, I go more for pretty much every other type of comedy, um, besides, besides awkward, um, uh, moments, <laughs> um, but, uh, so Jim has always been my favorite part of the show, you know, uh, I just love what John Krasinski does with the character, uh, you know, I love the pranks, the pranks are my favorite part of the show, you know, Jim pranking Dwight all the time, um, actually, you know, very frequently I will go, you know, on YouTube or if I'm scrolling through Facebook or whatever, uh, and I'll see, you know, if I'm on Facebook, uh, you know, see a post for the office and, you know, scroll through and, um, whenever I come across, you know, the, like, the compilation videos of Jim's pranks, I watch them every time, I share them every time, because I just never honestly get tired of them, you know, I mean, especially, you know, like, Asian Jim, that is just gold, you know, uh, the, the, uh, quad desk is, is amazing, <laughs> uh, um, oh 
god, what else? What else is there? Uh, I mean, the Jello one I think is kind of low hanging fruit, but you know, classics are classics. You know, uh, <laughs> but then also I just love that dynamic between Jim and Dwight. You know how over the years they do actually become really good friends, which is you know a really cool and interesting arc for both of them. You know, uh, especially when you get towards the end of the series, and uh, you know uh, Dwight asks Jim to be his best man at at his wedding, and uh, you know like that's just so sweet to me that these two guys who. You know, I mean, at least Dwight, he's not a big fan of Jim. Um, I mean, I think most of the time Dwight's just like, whatever. Uh, but when Jim does something, then Dwight is just like, then it gets his dander up, um, <laughs> ruffles his feathers. But, you know, once once they go on and on, um, you know, I just love that dynamic, how they, you know, become these, like, actually pretty cool friends. Um you know, and it's 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 interesting too, like just how Jim his story goes. You know, he just starts out as being this guy who just doesn't care at all. He just punches his clock, collects his paycheck, and then and you know that's it. Uh, and he eventually, you know, comes to comes to the point where in his life uh, where he's just like I need to do something more. And you know, then you see him start to really work hard and kind of make, you know, an effort and then, you know, um, and then make a real strong effort uh, throughout, you know, his time at Dunder Mifflin, which is, you know, it's just a really great character, really great arc, uh, really great arcs and storylines and plots and everything like that, uh, you know. Uh, it's just a fun character. It's just a really, really great character, you know. And then the Jim and Pam relationship, you know, that's just great. Uh, just, you know, it's one of those classic uh, relationships uh, in a series, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, does so much, uh, there's so much evolution um, involved in it. And it just, you know, it makes something more, you know, it makes something more like what, you know, like kind of what life is like, you know. Because that's how life goes, you know, you start at this place and then you're in this place and then, you know, depending on what you do, you either go to the, you know, you go down road A or road B or whatever and, you know, eventually wind up wherever you wind up. So that's, that's one of the things I do enjoy very much about The Office is how it, the show changes so drastically over time. Um, it doesn't seem like it's very big, huge, drastic changes for the most part. But when you when you compare episode one to you know the, ver the pilot episode to the series finale, it's just you know it's like uh, so much has changed you know. Um, but uh, but then you know comparing the pilot to the finale at the same time, it's like things you know have kind of stayed the same as well. But if you go from like the pilot to say the episode, uh, the search, the search committee episodes, the two-part search committee episode, um, after Michael has left, then it's just wildly different, you know, and then when James Spader comes in as Robert California, and, you know, and this stuff and that stuff, um, it just totally changes up, uh, the whole game, which is, you know, which is great, because that's what a good TV show does, and a good TV show has these, these great characters that inhabit it, like, like Jim, and, uh, you know, call me biased, because 
I'm a gym as well, so, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, I just love Jim. He's just so goofy and, and fun, and, uh, you know, I just, I just really love the guy. He's, he's, he's a cool dude. He's a good egg. Um, gonna take a quick break, come back, and talk about my other, uh, one of my other, uh, we're, well, it's top three, so, um, I'm not gonna rank the three things, uh, because it's uh, just be too difficult um, and unfair. Uh, but anyway, taking a quick break, coming back, more John Krasinski. <laughs> Stay tuned. So next... Um, is oh excuse me um, next up is uh, a movie that's very surprising to me and I think uh, for anybody who knows me and knows how big a problem I have with Michael Bay um, <laughs> uh, 13 Hours The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi uh, very briefly let me just uh, talk about the movie for a second um Actually, you know what? I think I can do like a re- kind of a review-y kind of a th- segment on this because I don't think I'm going to be talking about uh, 13 Hours um, any other time that I- soon that I can think of um, or even ever. Uh, but I do want to do... I do want to talk about it, so I guess I'll, uh, I'll talk about this. I'll talk about uh, the actual movie uh, as well as John Krasinski's uh, stuff in it. Um... I just really, really dig this movie. Uh, now, Michael Bay, I've got a huge problem with, when it, especially when it comes to like the Transformer movies, Pearl Harbor. You know, um, I'm, I just get very frustrated, especially you know the the uh, previous to the Mark Wahlberg uh, Transformers movies because there are certain parts that are just like completely incoherent. Um, I, you know, I've discussed this before, I do love big, crazy action movies, so I do, you know, watch the Transformers movies, um, just for the action stuff, and, uh, I'll tell you something weird, okay, uh, you know, um, some, you know, there's just some things about some, you know, like, different times when I've watched them, where I've liked them more than in this other situation that I watched him in, you know, uh, I don't know what that's about, but, you know, but, you know, there's just this stuff that Michael Bay does sometimes that's just so, what are, what is going on, I have no idea, um, I mean, you know, The Last Night, you know, Transformers The Last Night, there's all these aspect ratio changes, and they're so unnecessary, and just like, why? You know, uh, Michael Bay has got this weird mind um, where he does things and I don't think he thinks them through because I've never seen any other filmmaker do these wild aspect ratio changes. Now, if you don't know what aspect ratio is, all right, uh, what, what I'm talking about is it's the type of lens that you're using the format of the camera, the format of the, the film, so, you know, if you're using 30 millimeter film stock, or if you're going digital, you know, um, what lenses you're using, 
Um, so basically, if you picture what widescreen looks like, you know, you have the two black bars on the top and the bottom, and you and the the picture extends out to its full to the full length that the you know uh, image is captured through the lens of the camera, and you, that how big those black bars are can change depending on what aspect ratio you're using. So you might have an image that's a little bit thinner or wider. Um, so those black bars can um, extend or recede. So, you know, just this kind of crazy stuff. But 13 Hours is one of the rare Michael Bay movies that cuts through all that Michael Bay nonsense that he's done, that he does sometimes, and actually produces what I think is a very excellent war film, um, one of my favorite war films of all time. Now, if you don't know what the story is, uh, I'll break it down for you real briefly. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, in Libya, Benghazi to be specific, you know, they had uh, overthrown um, Gaddafi, Gaddafi, whatever, however you say it. Uh, so the, the city and the country were in this state of flux, this transitional period where it was kind of chaotic and messed up. And uh, the, the United States didn't really have any kind of presence there outside of a diplomatic outpost, which is pretty much exactly what it sounds. It's an outpost, but for, for diplomatic use. So it's not defended like, an, like a, you know, a United States embassy is. So, and United States embassies are guarded by Marines, um, you know, fully staffed and stocked. Uh, to be able to defend themselves in the event of attack, uh, whereas diplomatic outpost is, you know, very low-key, you know, you'll have local security, and you'll have a couple of, you know, security guards, bodyguards, uh, so maybe they're secret service, maybe they're contractors, maybe they're, you know, whatever. Uh, and then a mile or so down the road from this diplomatic outpost was a CIA outpost, which was staffed with, you know, a bunch of spooks, CIA guys, and, um, and six independent contractors from a group called GRS. Uh, and so these guys, you know, they're there to do what they do, and they're all ex-military, uh, you know, a couple Marines, uh, one Ranger, and then a couple of Navy SEALs. Now, John Krasinski gets to play one of these Navy SEALs, and seeing him go from playing Jim in the office to rocking an M4 assault rifle and blowing people's heads off, <laughs> you know, in this epic battle, uh, is kind of, it's actually not that jarring, you know? I mean, it, it is, but it isn't, you know? Uh, and I mean that's but that's the interesting thing about this movie is there are actually three office alums um, that have prominent roles in the film. So the CIA boss uh, is played by uh, I forget the actor's name. I'm I apologize. I'm blanking here, and I forget the other guy's name too. But uh, he's the dude that played Pam's uh, fiance um, before her and Jim got together. Um, and so, uh, you know, so that's so just like interesting casting choices, to say the least. Um, but then you also have, you know, uh, oh my god, uh, uh, James Badge Dale. There we go. 
got that one, and he plays the team leader of the uh, of the six contractors um, named uh, Tyrone or Roan. Uh, Max Martini, who plays uh, uh, one of the one of the Marines, and uh, Pablo Schriever, uh, who plays the ex Army Ranger guy. And I forget the other guy's name as well. My bad. Um, I, I kind of just I retroactively decided while I was to, while I was talking to decide to actually talk about this movie. Um, so <laughs> apologies. But anyway, so uh, you know these guys are there and they're just doing their operations, and all of a sudden, you know the the chaos boils over, and uh, there's a U.S. Uh, there's a, a U.S. diplomat staying at the outpost with his security team, and um, 17th Feb, uh, 17th February, uh, which are this this local militia, and they're providing uh, security. Um, they, uh, as you know, any local militia uh, are want to do, not necessarily the best fighters. Uh, they're passionate about you know. Their, their country and wanting to help and do something and but the fact of the matter is a lot of these guys don't have many military training they're not necessarily um, uh, wep- they're not necessarily up to speed in terms of weapon handling and tactics and you know in some cases they'll the, they have you know a couple of bullets in their pocket uh, you know maybe half a magazine in their AK-47 or whatever um, because they're just not equipped to fight like, you know, uh, a official military um, outfit. So you have these uh, contractors who get this call. They're at the CIA base. They get this call over the radio. We need help. So they rock off against orders from what they say, their account of it. And, uh, I mean, I don't know. I think uh, I'll I'll take the word of a... Navy SEAL and, you know, a Marine, a couple Marines and an Army Ranger over the word of a CIA boss any day of the week. Um, I mean, it's the CIA, nothing really against the CIA for the most part, except for like all the spy shit, you know. Um, (laughs) I'm not a real big fan of mass surveillance, but that's, you know, CIA and NSA, but anyway. um, (laughs) But, uh, so... So, you know, I mean, there's the spies. They they lie for a living. So it's like, you know, I think uh, let's listen to the guys whose job is to shoot people, not to lie to people. Um, <laughs> you know, so anyway, so uh, they get the call. They, they got to go. And so they go and, you know, sh- stuff hits the fan. Um, it, you know, it, it just devolves into this 13-hour gun battle sometimes running gun battle, sometimes driving gun battle, uh, you know, through the city, um, from the CIA base to the diplomatic outpost back to the CIA base. Um, and them just trying to survive the night uh, from these, you know, citywide coordinated attacks uh, from, you know, the from the bad guys. Uh, I really enjoy this movie. Uh, there's... You know, some things that are, you know, the classic Michael Bay stuff where, you know, it's just like the explosions are bigger, the gun, the uh, the bullet hits are bigger, um, but at the same time, it's, it's way more grounded and realistic. So, like, one of my favorite shots from the movie 
is these guys are taking cover behind a wall and this uh, and there's a car uh, that's empty uh, right uh, flush against the wall and a enemy technical and a technical for those of you who don't know is is a uh, a technical is a uh, truck uh, you know typically a flatbed vehicle uh, four-wheel drive four by four kind of vehicle that has a uh, large um, machine gun mounted uh, in in the flatbed uh, so you know it could be a pickup truck it could be a Jeep or whatever but uh, you know it's usually not like military issue the vehicle so uh, it's just it's kind of a uh, DIY you know um, uh, you know super glue and and string kind of a job you know uh, just very you know it's it's just them you know just DIY like I said uh, so in this technical this machine gun starts shooting away and the and they're aiming I guess for the car because that's what they hit and the car crumples into itself you know um, as as a, it would with a uh, with a weapon with this high cal high of a caliber bullet striking it over and over again uh, because it just disintegrates the material and the same thing happens in this other shot where these guys are you know running across this courtyard area machine gun hits them and you know these guys bodies just get blown apart and disintegrate and and things like that so the level of violence is very much you know that saving private ryan level of just let's just show what these weapons can do to people and and really take you there because you know there's there's a lot of great war movies out there you know that are very well done well made um and that's what kills me about Saving Private Ryan is that, you know, it's it starts out being the most realistic thing you've ever seen. And then, you know, it's a squad of guys who are going halfway across Europe six days after D-Day and just becomes the most unrealistic thing you've ever heard of. Uh, but the violence, as I've always said, and I will continue to say, the violence in Private Ryan is top-notch in terms of just not compromising what war actually looks like and that's what 13 hours does for me you know uh it really it really takes you to to this place you know where you are witnessing what modern warfare and what combat in general um kind of looks like you know i mean i'll, I'll say it again because I, I believe i said it pre in a previous podcast you know no matter how good you do it you're never gonna, you're never, ever, ever, no film is ever, ever going to really 100% get what combat is like. It's just not possible. Um, but you can get, you can get as close as you can get. And this is one of those movies that aspires to do that. And one of the ways you do that is with the, is through showing this extreme violence, this extreme level of, of violence. And, and I think that's, appropriate and necessary and you know I think it's something that needs to be done if you're making a war film <clears throat> oh my god excuse me that was ugh, it came out of nowhere um, I think it's you know I think it's you you have to do that if you're telling a story like this where it's it's combat it's it's war it's a battle because if you're not I feel like especially if it's a true story I feel like you're doing a disservice to 
you know, the men and women who, who fight and, and die in these circumstances, you know, I feel like if you're telling these kinds of stories, you have an obligation to not only the armed services, but also to civilians and, and the people that are just living in these places that, that experience this kind of violence, you know, you need to tell their stories, you need to tell it right, and the, and, you know, if you can do that, then I feel like, you know, you're, you're doing, you're doing something right, you know, you're doing a, a good thing, f you know, for, for people, um, by letting, you know, people who aren't in these situations come in and be able to experience them, uh, in some way, shape, or form, and in some way take them there, so that there's some sort of an understanding that this isn't, this is messed up stuff, you know, war is not cool, it's, it's, it's messy, it's dirty, it's violent, it's gritty, it's bloody, it's gory, and when you take that out of a movie or a TV show, you're kind of, you're sapping out this, this emotional experience that you're gonna get from, from the film, you know, uh, but then you're also gonna get, you know, the crazy people who are, like, filled with bloodlust over it and just like, yeah, take out them, insert, you know, Middle Eastern derogatory term, um, you know what I mean, uh, uh, and, and that's a shame, but, you know, that's, that's what you, that's, that's the risk you take when you're making a, a story like this, you know, I mean, the same thing could happen to Private Ryan, you know, uh, be like, yeah, take out them Nazis, you know, woohoo, but, you know, it, it, you're always gonna have some stuff like that, but the, it, it, you can decrease the amount of that with the, uh, the style and the manner in which you portray it. Now, to finally talk about Jim Krasinski in the film, uh, John Krasinski, excuse me, <laughs> John Krasinski, um, he's, he's great, man. I mean, he just gives this really amazing performance that's, you know, a very, uh, um, it just, it's, it, it go, he goes to a lot of places with, with his character, um, which is great, you know, uh, the first time you see him in the film, he's on a plane coming into Benghazi, and he takes his wedding ring off, and he puts it in, you know, a little Altoids tin, and there's a woman sitting across the aisle from him that looks at him, you know, gives him this look of just like, really, dude? And he's just like, you know, you can see in his head, you know, in his eyes, you know, you can see in his head, you can uh, see in his eyes... <laughs> you know, um, that it's just, that's what he does, because if the bad guys know that you're married, then that's just something that they have over you, I mean, I'm, you know, it's not like a thing where, you know, like, these, you know, uh, ragtag terrorist groups can, you know, fly somebody over to, um, um, to America and, you know, do, like, a kidnap hostage scenario, uh, but it's just something that they can use to hurt you, uh, you know, for leverage or whatever, so it's just, you know, they need to, you know, you need to keep as much of what you are about, you know, what you're about and your personal life and lock that away, lock it down so that, you know, the only thing that the bad guys have to use against you is their bullets and their, and, you know, and, and their bombs, you know, their, their actual weaponry, uh, 
and you know, and didn't just seeing him as his character as as Roan, James Badge Dill's character, you know, introduces him to the world of Benghazi and the state of of what's going on, and seeing him, you know, and he's he's an ex Navy SEAL and he's been a contractor for a while, so he's been on, I believe he says in the film, uh, twelve or fifteen deployments. Um, so he's, he's got plenty of experience, this guy, and, you know, but still seeing him come into a new situation and, you know, figuring out how to adapt to the new, to his new surroundings and the, you know, the climate of, of chaos that's, that's engulfed this city, you know, is just fantastic. And then when you see him in action, he's, you know, he's, he's Action Jackson, man. He's, he's there. He's ready to go. He's got his... He's got his stuff wired tight, and he and he's ready to, you know, he's ready to go to work, and and that's fantastic, you know, to see him go from, you know, these looks of, oh my God, we need to get out of here, we need to get out of the CIA base, we need to get to this diplomatic outpost, we need to help them, these people are dying, to then see him, you know, with that just look of complete and utter focus and determination that I need to do my job. Bam, 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 target down, bam, bam, target down, bam, 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 target down, you know, and just go to work. And it's just fantastic what John Krasinski does. I mean, all the performances, I think, are amazing in this film, but John Krasinski especially, I think, excels uh, because he is the lead uh, actor. You know, he's number one on the call sheet. Uh, and, and so that when you're, you know, even though it's ensemble, um, he still is, you know, kind of... He's he his character is the lead character. He's the one that we spend the most time with, um, and that means that he's there almost every day. And so you know he's definitely the kind of an actor that when he walks onto a set, he's he's you know totally willing to have a good time. But at the same time, it's professional. It's you know let's have a good time, but let's get our work done. Um, so it's it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic to watch him in in this film. Uh, you know, I mean, there are some things, you know, here and there, like I said, like there's some sparkly, you know, gunshots and stuff like that, like bullet hits and whatnot, but that's, that's just typical Michael Bay kind of stuff, just like exaggeration a little bit. Um, but for the most part, he, to- he, he tones down the exaggerated nonsense um, and, and, and grounds it. So, uh, you know, overall, I think this movie is a very fantastic film. You know, obviously not everybody's going to agree with me. Uh, but, you know, that's just how it is. Everybody's got their own opinions, and uh, that's, what, uh, that's what's great about, you know, the world, is that, you know, we, we, uh, we have our differences, and uh, we're not all the same. We don't all think the same way, and that's a good thing, you know? Uh, so anyway, a uh, quick break, and we'll be back to talk about A Quiet Place, um, which is going to be cool. So stay tuned for that. Alrighty, so A Quiet Place. I've been so excited to see this movie. I didn't get the chance to see it in theaters, uh, but I did have the chance to see it recently, which uh, was so, so fantastic. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this movie so much, I can't tell you. Um, I will say this, and this might trip people up a little bit, um, but before, let me preface it by saying this. Um, I don't watch a lot of horror movies because... 
Uh, as I've said, I think, on the podcast a couple of times, I get really into this stuff. So, you know, I'm able to really transport myself to where the characters are and really, you know, go along with them on these journeys. So, you know, if I'm watching something like The Walking Dead and there's a jump scare, I'm like, whoa! You know what I mean? Um, you know, when, when there's a character in danger, I get really tense and I get really, you know, freaked out because I'm like, no! Like, I'll tell you this, um, you know, uh, well, actually, I won't tell you this. I'll tell you this next time. Um, <laughs> on Thursday's podcast, because that's when I was planning on talking about The Walking Dead a little bit. Um, uh, but, you know, not too much, because I want to do a Walking Dead series as well, obviously. Uh, but, you know, you just you get what I'm saying. Um, you know, I just get really, really into stuff. So when I watch horror films, um, I, get, I can get really freaked out, you know. Um, or even, like, thrillers. Like, I'll, I'll tell you this. I still think the scariest movie, to me, to me anyway... Uh, is Signs by M. Night Shyamalan, uh, starring, uh, you know, uh, Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, that movie scares the living crap out of me. Um, it freaks me out hardcore. Uh, I remember when I when it came out, um, and, and I really enjoy the movie, but it freaks me the hell out. And so, I remember the only like day I felt safe for like a month after I'd seen the movie was this day and I was in high school at the time I was walking to school and it was just just huge torrential downpour of rain just pissing rain and that was the only time the only day <laughs> uh, you know in in the month after I'd seen the film you know uh, that I had felt safe Every other, you know, every night I was freaking out, you know, whenever I heard, like, you know, the house settle or creak or whatever, you know, just heard some sort of, you know, I was just like, what, 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 no, and I'm from Missouri, and I don't know what you know about Midwesterners, but we like our pocket knives and, and knives in general, uh, so, you know, you'll see, you, I mean, well, you won't see them. But, you know, a lot of us out here, we carry knives with us, um, you know, and so, <laughs> you know, I made sure to always have my, you know, my pocket knife on me, <laughs> um, you know, just because I was so freaked out about it, you know, it's like, I mean, what am I going to do with, with, if an alien I can, you know, uh, chameleon their skin attack me, you know, uh, so I also had water with me wherever I went. <laughs> <laughs> just in case uh, but but this movie um, even though everybody says this movie scared the crap out of them I actually it wasn't that bad for me um, I don't know what that is you know because uh, I think everything about it is awesome and amazing you know I love the I love um, I just love everything about it you know the performances are exceptionally good I mean oh amazing you know, uh, like, how the whole movie almost, there's like, maybe like five, ten lines of dialogue in the whole thing, uh, so like, it's all, you know, quiet, and just with sign language, um, and that's amazing, you know, I love that so much, I, I can't even tell you, I can't even really express it, how great it was to see, you know, almost an entire movie, 
you know, 95% of a movie be, uh, you know, performed with sign language. Uh, so cool because I'm, I really, I'm, I'm infatuated with, with sign language. I think it's so amazing. Um, you know, and, uh, it's one of those things that I would I desperately want to learn, you know, like Japanese or, you know, Mandarin and Cantonese and, you know, stuff like that, Spanish or whatever. Uh, and uh, I just love it so much. And to see it on full display in a movie and then to have, um, I forget her name, but uh, the actress who plays uh, the daughter, um, she's just amazing. I mean, what a performance by this this young this young lady uh absolutely blows me away just blew me away um these performances because they're just they're fantastic you know john krasinski emily blunt you know um and then the two kids uh they're just they're just phenomenally amazingly good um (laughs) uh but yeah the weird thing is it really didn't like scare the crap out of me like most horror films will do you know, um, I don't know what it was, and I was, and here's the thing, I was watching it, and I watched it outside, uh, you know, I had my laptop outside, chilling out, you know, um, at night, and, you know, with the exception of, of, you know, a street light, uh, you know, uh, uh, through the trees, um, and, and the light from my computer screen, there it was pitch black, and that's you know perfect scare the crap out of Jim <laughs> uh, circumstance, you know um, situation. <laughs> uh, but this one actually didn't do it, you know. Um, I definitely felt the terror and the tension in those moments, but like afterwards, I was fine. You know, uh, I was definitely scared in the moment, but but afterwards, I was like, because usually afterwards, that's the that's the scary stuff. You know, uh, I mean, so Heath, the other night we were talking, uh, you know, like a week and a half, two weeks ago or whatever, and he told me this, you know, story of, of, of this, like, ghost story that, you know, happened to him and a couple of his friends, um, and he got, like, halfway through the story, and I was sitting outside at night, pitch black, except for my computer screen, and I was already getting scared silly and I was like stop the story but he just kept telling the story and so you know for an hour and a half two hours after he told me this story I was just freaking the F out you know looking around every couple of every minute or two just like checking you know make sure you know utilizing my my peripheral uh, periphery peripheral vision, you know, just looking around and scanning and all that stuff and, you know, but for some reason A Quiet Place didn't do that to me, um, and I don't know why, uh, but uh, but that doesn't take away from how much I enjoyed it, uh, it was just, it was just so good, and I don't want to talk too much about it because I don't want to, again, I try not to do spoiler casts, um, as much as possible unless it's like something I need to, need to, need to talk about and get off my, get out of my head, but uh, but I don't want to do that with A Quiet Place, so I'll just, uh, you know, kind of leave it at that, that it was just so good, it was just amazing. Um, John Krasinski, what a, what a talented guy, you know, because, uh, I mean, this is a John, this is the John Krasinski episode of, of Nightcap with Jim, so, you know, I definitely have to, uh, 
you know, talk about how amazing I think John Krasinski is. You know, he's just so talented, uh, so amazing, you know. I mean, the guy can act. Um, the guy can, you know, write, and he can direct the crap out of a movie, you know. I mean, this is just one of the great uh, directorial performances uh, of this year, you know. Absolutely fantastic. Love it. Just love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, you know, uh, just, I just, yeah, just, I just loved it, <laughs> but I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there and, uh, and I'm going to, and we're going to, yeah, I'm gonna leave it there. <laughs> uh, well, that's our show for tonight. Um, thank you so much for listening. Please, 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 please tune into our morning show with Heath and check out our other social media content at Mugami Players on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and YouTube. Thank you again so much for stopping by for a nightcap. Good night. <laughs>